Will it be hike and hold or will it be hike and fold? Depends on who you ask or where you look. Uh, Federal Reserve President Raphael Bostic was in the news just recently talking about how he expects the Fed to continue hiking at least another one in the early part of May, just a couple of weeks from now. But then, according to Bostic, no matter what happens, he has absolutely no plans to cut rates at any point. Here's what he said. He said, if the data come in as I expect, we will be able to hold there for quite some time. Once we get to that point, I don't really have us doing anything but monitoring the economy for the rest of this year and into 2024. That's consistent with Federal Reserve officials who have said for quite some time, higher for longer. Wherever they stop hiking, that does not mean rate cuts, at least according to them. I love this. I took this from a CNBC article, which, you know, it had to have been difficult for them to type what came next. The rest of the CNBC article goes like this. Markets, however, disagree that the Fed will be in a hold posture. Current pricing indicates an 87% chance of a quarter point rate hike next month, a pause for a few months, then a half percentage point cut by the end of 2023 as the economy slows, according to CME Group estimates. Bostic said inflation is still running too strong to consider cuts. And that has been the split between the markets and officials in the media really for a very long time. They think inflation is the biggest risk. They need to hike rates and, can, and to hold them there in order to break the back of inflation where the markets are saying, what inflation? You guys are absolutely crazy. And I'm going to disagree with CNBC here because the, the markets are not pricing to uh, 50 basis points in rate cuts. What the markets are saying is that when rate cuts start, it won't be one or two rate cuts. The probabilities, these are all probabilities, are that when the rate cuts start, first of all, the probability that rate cuts will start this year is exceptionally high, and that when they do, there will be a rapid series of them. So let's bring in Mr. Stephen Van Meter. Steve, do you see anything in the real economy that would make you think that Raphael Bostic is all wrong about his inflation, 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 the economy's great, and we need to hold, hold rates higher for longer? You know, Jeff, I keep thinking I need to get a job at the Federal Reserve so I can drink whatever this Kool-Aid is because I have no clue. And I keep wondering, what reports do they get that's in this fantasy land that they live in that would give them any expectation that they're going to hike and hold? Now, we know that's what the Fed wants. We know that what they want for eons is the idea that we can raise rates and then we can keep them there. And then maybe at the next cycle, raise them again and get them back to, we'll just say, quote, unquote, normal. Because at this point, nobody has a freaking clue what normal rates are. I mean, could it be 10%, 5%? We don't know because they can never stay up long enough for us to establish a baseline. And yet, you're right, Jeff, we start looking at the economic data. We don't even need to look at the yield curves, which, of course, we know have been clearly saying that the Fed has got this wrong and they're going to aggressively cut, as you said. But you start looking at the broad economic data here and you keep seeing a lot of things indicating a slowdown. Now, we did get some services data out of the preliminary uh, PMI data. We'll go through that in a moment that, that shows some excitement, perhaps. And I, and I don't want to overstate the level of excitement in these numbers because it's not a whole lot. But I like to think that heading into the summer season, that's when you would should expect a pickup in services demand because that tends to be what happens. On the flip side, 
manufacturing still not looking so great. Jeff, I'm going to turn this back to you and let you go through some of these numbers. Yeah, one of the one of the uh, concerning ones for me on the manufacturing side was the Philadelphia Fed Re- Regional Manufacturing Survey, which was, I mean, if you're if you're looking for data that that, that suggests at least the manufacturers in the in the at least the Philadelphia region are struggling. That one hit a new cycle low at minus 31.3, I think it was. Really incredible low. And I think the big one, as far as Mr. Bostic and the Federal Reserve was concerned, is that the prices paid index dropped by more than 15 points down to eight. Now, eight sounds like, hey, that's still a positive number, but eight is one of the lowest numbers in the series. It's more consistent with when prices and disinflation are present in the, present in the economy than the inflation that he's talking about. So you look at the Philly Fed, look at some of the other regional Fed's uh, surveys, even the uh, S&P Global's manufacturing PMI, which just barely ticked back up to the plus side of 50. On balance of the uh, all the data that we have, the manufacturing economy continues to suffer from the inventory cycle, the reverse bullwhip effect. And by account of a lot of them, the balance of them, we're seeing the worst parts of it still ahead of us. Um, no, you're right, but the services PMI have been a little bit better as consumers are spending a little bit more on services that they're not, that they don't have to spend at gasoline prices and other things like that. But again, overall, the data is clearly skewing slowly and incrementally to the downside, right, Steve? Yeah, Jeff, but could this be a case? And let's, I'm just going to take the counterpoint here. Could we be seeing a resurgence in the services sector? And granted, it's slow, but that's okay. It doesn't have to go, you know, shooting off into, you know, big numbers in the 60s. Uh, could we see now the services sector may lead the manufacturing sector? Because one argument I can make here is we can go back to this Philly Fed data, go back to 2008 and 9 and say, man, it was at around these levels. And that turned out to be the bottom. Now it hovered there for you know a number of, of months. So maybe maybe we're at the bottom. Maybe that's what Bostic sees here. Maybe his contacts are telling him, hey, you know what? The worst is about behind us. We're going forward. Look at the servicing sector, services sector. It's going to lead us out of here. Uh, my take, Jeff, is usually the services sector falls the manufacturing sector down, but maybe this time's different. It could be different. You're right, Steve, but I know you're familiar with the term dead cat bounce. There is something called a dead economy bounce, too, where, again, these things, even recessions are not singular straight line processes. It's not like the economy just is growing one day and then starts heading down into recession the next day. What happens is there's always this constant back and forth. It gets weak, and then people say, okay, did it, it's just a downturn. Maybe it gets a little bit stronger. It rebounds a little bit. Then it gets weaker again, and then it gets stronger again. It goes back and forth, back and forth. And you're, 2008 was maybe a perfect example of this because we got the initial recession in, the, in late 2007, the first part of 2008. Then what happened to the economy in the middle of 2008? It rebounded. Now, rebounded somewhat because of the Bush administration experiment with helicopter money, but I think it would have rebounded a little bit less anyway, because as we see time and time again in downturns, there's usually, as you just said, there's usually an upturn around spring. So the fact that the economy has gone down last year and has come back up a little bit, maybe rebounding in certain parts of it, certainly in other parts are not looking even close to the rebound, but even if there is a little bit of a rebound in services, that isn't necessarily inconsistent with the pattern that we're talking about because 
everything is a progression. It goes back and forth. There's ebbs and flows and everything, including the banking crisis, because nobody's talking about banks anymore. Everybody was talking about Silicon Valley, Credit Suisse. Here we are at the end of April outside of the marketplace. People are like, eh, that was, we're bored with that now. Let's move on to the next thing. When under the surface, we can see that there are still problems available. Everything is back and forth, ebbs and flows. Nothing ever goes in the straight line. So there's always going to be something that's going to be moving contrary to the direction that everything else is moving. You know, that's a great point, Jeff. And one thing I like to encourage people to do is, you know, you, you read the data, you listen to you know our shows and what our take is. But sometimes you got to just step out into the real economy and start to ask the questions are, is what I'm seeing in the data is real? And one thing that, you know, I kind of have a little bit of an advantage here over a lot of people is I live in the vacation capital of the world. So we get to see right where I'm at, you know, if, if the economy is booming, they're coming here. And if it's not, they're leaving. And so a lot of the survey data came out of the first two weeks of April. You know, whether it's a preliminary uh, S&P Global data or it's the Philly Fed data, it's all the first couple of weeks of April, which is a heavy spring break time and a deluge of people come in here. But what's very interesting, Jeff, and I think you'll find this interesting, on last Sunday, the volume of people here dropped off dramatically. Uh, park attendance was way down. Restaurants were not filling up. All of a sudden, it was asked this place turned into a relative speaking ghost town compared to normal. And then we saw Disney come out and start offering annual passes back to uh, Florida residents, uh, discounts on water parks. And even the people in the water parks, which I frequent quite a bit, even the staffs are like, wow, this is strange. This never happens at this time of year because we're about to head into the busy summer months, which is now getting everyone around here talking about maybe Demand is actually far worse than we think. And it was just as a spring bank break bump that we had. Let me ask you this, Steve. I mean, that's a good anecdote. And of course, it's just an anecdote, but it's still, it's, it's something that uh, we can look toward I mean, because we're always looking to validate what we're seeing in, you know, esoteric data that's detached from the real world in, in a lot of, a lot of ways. Let me, let me ask you this. Is, is that related to possibly we're seeing the initial effects of the credit crunch? Because that's one of the things, even, even policymakers like Bostic and Jay Powell and Christopher Waller have acknowledged, they don't want to acknowledge it, but they, they sort of have to acknowledge the elephant in the room, which is we had all this stuff happen in the banking system just a little while ago. It's nearly not that long ago. And even though we're not really talking about the next bank, we still could have problems because, as you know, we talked about the data from the banking system, the initial aftermath. There was a real rapid decrease in bank credit. There was a drop in loans. We've heard uh, the Beige Book this week came out uh, talking all about how banks are tightening credit standards. Uh, they're they're not really looking to lend. Um, are, do you think is is it possible we're starting to see the beginning of the credit crunch have a real impact in the real economy in a way that even Federal Reserve officials have been sort of really fearing in the back of their mind. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely possible, Jeff. Um, just talking to some more of the locals around here about the, the cycle of, of travel, and they tell me that usually people are booking three to six months in advance. So they're like, yeah, it's pretty normal to, for us to see kind of a lag here. And then if there is a downturn, it drops off significantly. So we go back to the, the banking crisis, and you could probably guess that a lot of these people had our reservations already booked. It was a done deal. But now all of a sudden we're seeing this unusually large drop off for this time of the year. 
And that would suggest that perhaps people were getting nervous and not booking any trips. So if that's the case, then uh, as I get out into the wild and next week, I'll, I'll have some more uh, on the ground data for you. Um, but yeah, it would seem to me that we are starting to see the effects of the banking crisis, which is exactly what you said months ago when we're in the middle of it, that they would hit with a lack. Yeah, I, mean, I think we're going to have to develop the Stephen Van Meter Disney Park Attendance PMI to see what that data can tell us. Uh, I'm expecting you to put that together for next week's show. But no, more seriously here, I mean... It's the, going to be seasonally the, adjusted, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, always seasonally. Don't use the Department of Labor's adjustments, though. <laughs> no, I mean... With the markets, the difference between the market position that, hey, rate cuts are coming and Federal Reserve is official and the media a mainstream position that, no, this is this is all big nothing. It really, I think, comes down to these effects that we're talking about. The market said beforehand there's going to be a deflationary outbreak. That's going to be a problem. And then that deflationary outbreak is going to cause real problems in the financial system, but also in the real economy, whereas the Fed said, what are you talking about deflationary money? We don't see it coming. Oh, that deflationary money. Okay, well, we got that, but we don't see any fallout from it just yet. So we're going to be more positive and more optimistic where the market's saying, you just got to wait a couple of weeks. And I think that's really the big difference here is the market is relatively sure, not only that the credit crunch is going to happen, it's already happening and it's going to be the thing that causes the Fed to say, we need to cut rates because like you said, from the beginning, Bostic, the, the Powell, all the rest of them say, no, we have no intention of cutting. Even when we pause, we're just going to pause and assess, assess the situation. We are not cutting rates at all. And the market's saying, just you wait. Yeah, because I'm sure you saw in the base book, um, some small business reported mass layoffs, which if you're in a small business and you have a mass layoff, I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to make light of it, but it's like you think about, hey, you, you have a small business, you might have 10 or 20 employees. Well, if you're having a mass layoff, that means you have virtually nobody left. But also in the report, and I know you read this, Jeff, there were signs of deflation. They actually used the word deflationary forces were starting to hit some parts of the economy. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Here you're hearing from, you know, Bostic, Mester, and all the other host of Fed speakers, you know, more rate hikes or at least one more and inflation's a problem. But it's like in your own page book, if you look there, it's starting to tell you much like just the, the yield curve starting to invert or perhaps the, uh, the crude oil curve going, you know, from backwardation to contango, you know, what you see or the other way around, isn't it? Right. It's contango to backwardation, right? Where you see the flip. You're seeing it in the page book, the flip in the data, their own data saying deflation. So why have they seen this? Yeah. It's, I, you know, I think. They, they understand the risks now in a way they didn't understand a month ago or a month and a half ago, because a month and a half ago was January payrolls, transitory disinflation, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute. Holy crap. This just happened. We didn't see it coming either, which is another factor involved, too. And I think the markets are saying, yeah, now that you see it, do you see it going further? And eventually you will. And I think the beige book, the Fed minutes from its last meeting, which included lots of references to potential trouble. I think that that's that's really why the markets are positioned the way they are, is because even they can see the Fed wants to talk about inflation. It wants to be in the public saying everything is as we want it to be. Every, you know, the risks are too good rather than too bad. They want the public thinking that everything is under control. But under the surface, in the background, 
they are sweating bullets. You have to believe they're sweating bullets uh, because their contacts are already, I mean, they put it in the beige book. They, their contacts are already telling them we're acting as if uh, the markets, not just the markets, but you know, I think there's enough uncertainty in the economic data that there really isn't anything apart from the unemployment rate that you can say this economy is really, really rip roaring. Even the Fed models have said, we're probably going to see a mild recession this year. So if recession is your base case, you already see the ingredients for a credit crunch. It's not that difficult to see those two things colliding. And even those at the Fed are starting, at least at least not, you know, not the public facing part of the Fed. The, the, uh, the institution is, is preparing itself for the more than good possibility that this does actually happen. Right. And, you know, from the Fed's perspective, you know, and I want to put this out there. Why why do they don't why don't they want to cut rates? It's because in an ideal situation for the Fed, you believe that the funds rate is all powerful. So if you can get it up to whatever level you're comfortable with and then maybe in the next cycle, get it up some more. If there is a downturn, you've got margin to move it up and down because you believe that that lever, again, is all powerful. If what we're seeing is slowdown now, what we're seeing in the curves and oil and all the things that we talk about on this show, if all these things are true, it suggests that the Fed's going to be back at zero and then have no margin to move. And that's the problem for them because they have nowhere to go and their magic tool then doesn't work anymore. So there's a lot of stake from the Fed's perspective that this needs to work. Now, outside of that, we can poke a lot of holes in it, but I just want people to understand that from these speakers, this is what they want and what they believe. And the reality is they're going to be back at zero at some point and have no margin to do anything. And then maybe, Jeff, maybe that's when, of course, you know, we find out that the king is not wearing any clothes and that what they do doesn't matter. But I'm sure they'll have a way out like they always do. Yeah, you made a really good point there just a little bit of a goal is that every time the Fed tries to get rates to go back up, they want to go right back down to zero again, which is an acknowledgement of just how bad the long run situation is in, an, in addition to all the short run problems, which include we still have to pay for all that stuff in 2020 and 2021. We didn't get out of that scot-free as many people had hoped. Well, look, I look forward next week to the Stephen to uh, to unveiling the Stephen Van Meter Disney Park Attendance PMI. That is something that I really th hope you put together, Steve. But thank you very much for introducing it and joining me again this week. Jeff, always a pleasure. We'll see you next weekend. Okay, take care.